Bobby? Have you checked the children? Here's Johnny! Well, not exactly. Here's Dr. Paul! How about that? Welcome to my podcast for another scintillating attempt to try to explain what is in the Bible, God's Word. Thanks for joining me today. It's been a little while. I'm assuming you're still alive and well. Obviously, if you were not, you would not be listening to me now. (laughs) Anyway, welcome to the podcast as we continue on our journey here through the Christian Constitution. Welcome. Yes, we're all the way to the tail end of Romans chapter 11. Explaining what happened to the Jews. Where did they go? At least uh, according to the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew. And their disappearance. How did that open up the door for everyone else? But before we do our exposition here, I want to welcome five new followers. Welcome to Dion. Don't know where Dion's at. He looked like a finely well-dressed man. And then there were three uh, anonymous followers that joined, and that's okay too. Plenty of uh, plenty of you out there. I'm just glad you're here. Hopefully, you will be blessed. Find something valuable in the podcast that you can not only. Uh, add to your own life, but share with others. Because, you know, it's one thing to be a sponge and soak up all of the good things out there and not share it with anybody. I don't think that's God's ideal. God, when he set up Christianity before the foundation of the world, had planned on making a religion a public thing. Now, a lot of Christians like to say, oh, well, I'm not religious. Oh, yes, you are. In fact, I would encourage you to go over and read uh, James's letter in the New Testament sometime and just read what he has to say about religion and watch your head explode over that whole relational thing. It's not that God doesn't want a relationship, but once again, there's true religion and there's false, and there's only one true religion. All the rest of them are false, and that true religion just happens to be Christianity. And then Robin, uh, you know who you are. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Uh, and I do that for all the all the newbies out there that decide to, you know, click on the button and give me a like or give me a follow or whatever. I'm, I'm just glad you're here. And once again, that you are going to re- something, receive something that is value to you. Obviously, you wouldn't Click on the uh, the button unless you thought there was. Share this with others. They need to hear the good news too. 
Uh, and we know there is very little of that going around in the world. Uh, yes, we are in Romans chapter 11, and we're in the last 11 verses, starting in verse 25, going to verse 36, and explaining what happened to the Jews. And the way this is entitled here in my notes, not my notes, someone else, as they decided to put this headline in this particular section of the Bible. I'm reading from the ESV, but they called it the mystery of Israel's salvation. I don't think that's a really good title. It's okay, but I think there's more going on here than just explaining that, and I will get into the details here shortly. Now, we're going to be reading these 11 verses, and as I always do, or at least try to whenever I remember, uh, I want you to follow along, so get your Bible. Blow the dust off if you haven't already done that, and follow along. As I said here, uh, I use the ESV right now. I uh, used to use the NAS and started it out with the King James years ago. So if you have those or something that is comparable, get it out. Again, blow off the dust and follow along. This is how you learn your Bible, by reading it. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Lots of Bibles, at least here in the United States. I don't know where you might be in the the world, but here in the United States, there are plenty of Bibles and not a whole lot of reading it. So let's start at verse 25 and read it through to verse 36, and then we will come back and do some explaining. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins." As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, or irrevocable, depending on how you want to pronounce that. You say rodeo, I say rodeo. Anyway, uh, verse 30, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So here we have 
an explanation, a concluding statement of what happened to the Jews. Because, as you recall, early on in the book of Romans, all of the oracles and the salvation and the adoption has been given to the nation of Israel. And they blew it. They blew it big time. They were disobedient. They had fallen by the wayside. Not totally, as the Apostle Paul said, because Paul has already addressed, well, uh, are, are, they, are they just kind of obliterate, obliterated from the plan of God? And Paul has made it perfectly clear. No, God has not rejected them. I'm, a, I'm an Israelite. I'm a, I'm a Jew myself. And I'm, I'm a clear example that God has not totally given up on the Jews. There are Messianic Jews. Uh, there are ethnic Jews. Paul had pointed to this out before, that the true Jew uh, is the one who has been circumcised of heart. He has been brought into the family of God by faith, according to God's grace, just like he has now turned to the Gentiles and is doing with them. A people that weren't his people are now his people. And so the Jews have been put on the back burner. Paul says here in verse 25, as he's addressing the Christians there in Rome, uh, don't be you know, too heady about this on your own. Don't be uh, wise in your own sight, thinking that you know it all, because even the Apostle Paul will admit here in just a little bit that this whole thing, dealing with the nation of Israel, has been a mystery. Not only a mystery of how he has redeemed God, how God has redeemed the Jews, but how he is going to redeem the Gentiles. It's mysterious. So don't be thinking about this on your own humanistic terms, dear Christians in Rome, uh, thinking that you've got God figured out here, because it is still a mysterious thing, whether we're talking about the salvation of the Jews or the salvation of the Gentiles. And if you really stop and think about that, it is mysterious. Why would God do the things that he has done in the way that he has done them? Why bring the Son into the world? I mean, I've heard this type of a question brought up before. Well, if, if, if God did all these things that you say are true in the Bible, I'm just saying, I didn't write it, just pick it up and read it. But if, if God did all these things, could he did it in a better way, a more convenient way? I mean, killing your own son? Come on, shedding his... Oh, come on, man. There's got to be... A, no. This is how God has designed it from the beginning. And, you know, thinking about this type of a thing, not that we're in eternity yet, but thinking about this type of plan on God's part is just mind-boggling. This is how God set it up. And he's going to talk about just how unsearchable are the, uh, actually, we'll say what he says here. Uh, he says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Uh, yeah, when you stop and think about it, you go, wow, this is just, it's, it's mind-boggling. But he, so he just tells the Christians there in Rome, just, just relax. Don't, don't be too heady about this. I don't want you to be ignorant. He's, the, the word here has been translated as unaware in the King James, well, no, ignorant in the King James, uninformed and unaware. 
and the it's the word we get for agnostic without knowledge uh, of the kind that is uh, over and above just your average run of the mill type of I know the two 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 plus two is four. Uh, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses this word mystery here. He uses it a couple of times in the book of Romans here. And uh, you see, he's also used it in verse 25. Of course, that's here. And also in verse 25 of chapter 16, he uses it again, where he talks about this preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages past. But, you know, if you're really wanting to get into Paul's usage of, uh, of this word mystery, you need to really kind of go over to the book of Ephesians where he kind of explains what's going on here in Romans chapter 11. Because he says over in Ephesians chapter 3, using this word in describing the salvation of both the Jews and the Gentiles, he says in verse 4 of chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then verse 6, this is, I think, is key here. Although Paul's going to do some more explaining what this mystery is in relation to the Jews here in Romans chapter 11, he says this. And it kind of reinforces what I just said here a second ago when it comes to the salvation, really, of the world, of all of humanity. He says in verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 3, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You want to know how a person enters the kingdom of God? It's through the gospel. And if you are not Jewish in an ethnic sense, or not born into a Jewish family, uh, then you're a Gentile. You literally, you're an ethnic, you're a pagan. But now because of this mystery of the salvation of all of humanity that comes through the person and promise of Jesus Christ, now you can be a member of the same body that originally was only designated for the nation of Israel because salvation came through them. That's who God was working with. But Paul takes us a little bit further. He explains this, this what, what happened to the Jews in the meantime, because they rejected him. The Jews put, with a little bit of help of their friends, the Romans, at least they thought were their friends, even though they were their enemies, but they wanted Jesus dead. And so they called upon the Roman Empire, the Roman uh, leadership and Pontius Pilate to get rid of Jesus. He was an antagonist. He was ruffling everybody's feathers. He was the culmination of the goal of the law that they thought they were following. So they wanted to get rid of him. But before Paul goes on and explains, he calls his Christian friends there in Rome, he calls them brothers again. We've talked about this before. He has this intimate relationship with them. And to call him a brother, which he's going to do again later on, uh, is a 
term of endearment. You are my brothers. I know you don't completely understand this, and that's not necessarily your fault. It's been a mystery until this revelation of Jesus Christ was given to the prophets and the and the apostles. Brothers, a partial hardening. Uh, the, the King James's blindness has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This partial hardening, this this hardness, uh, the, the Greek word is parosis, and it doesn't necessarily mean like a hardening of the arteries or anything like that, uh, or hardening of cement. It literally means to be in a state of complete uh, misunderstanding or lacking of understanding, uh, a dullness, uh, insensibility, this obstinacy, uh, towards the things of God. And you know, that's an amazing thing if you stop and think about it, because this was God's people. They had God's oracles. They had Moses writing down things from the beginning to give to the Jews that later on, Paul would say, they're for their, their, the things that were given to them and their experiences were for our benefit. They, uh, they were instructive in the sense, you know what, you don't want to go back down that road. They had the oracles of God, the commandments of God, and yet they did anyway. And it's also interesting in the sense that, you know what, even though people are Gentiles and they may be saved, guess what? They're still human beings just like the Jews are, and there's this natural inclination towards evil. Doesn't mean that you're as evil as you can be, but there's this natural tendency to want to disobey God, even when God has gone out of his way to warn us, to give us a revelation of what he expects of us and our behavior and our treatment towards other people, we just kind of naturally go our own way. And because of that, because of this hardening, this obstinacy, this dullness, this inability on the part of the Jews because of the rejection of their Messiah. There is now going to be a turning away from them to the Gentiles. And it says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And I, I thought about that expression. You know, you, you can also find it over in uh, Luke uh, 20, 21, uh, 24. I can bring that back up here real quick. Let me go back here. Hang on a second here. Let me go back here. I love doing this here. Here we go. Uh, Luke uh, 21, 24 says, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, I don't think what Paul is saying here about the fullness of the Gentiles is quite the same thing as this expression, the times of the Gentiles, because J Jesus seems to have in mind the end times. That said, uh, this fullness seems to deal more with the last person's going to be saved. Now, will that occur during the tribulation period? It very well could. Uh, until that time, the Gentiles, those that are going to be not saved, are going to be a threat to na the nation of Israel, to, to Jerusalem. This is in the latter days of the tribulation period. And... Uh, 
they're they're very well. Well, obviously, they're not going to be the saved ones. They're the ones that are going to be the enemies of Israel, God's people. But they're also going to be enemies towards Christians as well, because there's going to be plenty of Christians around during the tribulation period. Don't kid yourself otherwise. But this idea of the fullness of the Gentiles seems to deal with deal with the salvation aspect of the the Gentiles, and it's going to occur. And then when that is fulfilled, and only God knows this, when the last Gentile will be redeemed by his election, then there's going to be this mass conversion of the Jews. Will that be during the tribulation period? Uh, don't know. Most likely, since, uh, uh, well, if there could be the salvation of the Gentiles up until that point, and then the Jews would come in thereafter. Because he says it's uh, uh, until, there's kind of a time period going on here. Uh, until that time, the Jews are going to be hardened. They're going to be oblivious as to what's going on, except for the remnant that Paul had talked about before. Because he had said in, uh, earlier in, the, in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 11, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. There are Messianic Jews today that are being saved. Does that mean there's everybody? No, I don't think it means everybody. I think when after the last of the Gentiles is saved, there will be a mass conversion. But once again, I do not believe it's going to be everybody, every single soul, even though... Paul is going to say here in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, this could mean all that is spiritual or the remnant of Israel, uh, all that are going to be converted. I don't think it's going to be every single individual, though, although there's going to be a mass conversion. They will be saved. They will have the blinders taken off, so to speak. They're hearts will be softened instead of hardened. And then you're going to see the deliverer. He says, the, uh, as it is written, this is going to be an allusion back to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 59. He says, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. You know, and I went back and read this, you know, for this podcast. I've read it before. But you know, the more... <laughs> The more I read it, it's it's eerie in a way because of the content. Because I think about not only what happened to Israel that eventually led them away into captivity, uh, how the people were. But I think, you know, by way of application, and once again, there's one interpretation when it comes to Scripture, uh, one accurate one, that doesn't mean that there can't be several interpretations that are kind of in the ballpark. Sometimes interpretation, when it comes to the scriptures, it could mean several different things, but ultimately God only meant one. But there are multiple applications. And when I think about what is happening uh, here in Isaiah 59, you know, in, in uh, reference to Romans chapter 11, verse 26, when he talks about the deliverer will come from Zion— I just shake my head, and I go, oh, how is that no different than what's going on right now? And in the ebbs and flows of history, where there is this rebellion against God, 
and then the people are taken away, and then there's this uh, uh, salvation of the of the nation of the people, and that God has to restore them, and then they start all over again. But I want you to I want you to just kind of bear with me just for a second, and especially since I live in the United States and I see the garbage that's going on here with so many people that are either in direct rebellion against God or those that are pretending to be part of God's people, you know, they put on a smiley face or whatever, and they're in rebellion as well. They just had the religious aspect to it. But read the, if you've got your Bible, read along with me here in Isaiah chapter 59. Behold, the hand of the Lord is not assured that he cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly, and they rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hash adder's eggs. They weave spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they know not, they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. And it just keeps on going like that. And I think, how is that not different from today? And yet we've got people running around. We need this peace accord. And we need Palestine to be set free. And all, just a bunch of garbage. They're trying to establish their own utopia. Their own peaceful utopia. We just do it the communist Marxist way. It'll just be wonderful. And we can lie like a cheap Persian rug in court and sue people using lawfare. And we're going to have a wonderful society. I'm telling you, that is a damnable lie. It's straight out of hell. And this is what the Jews were involved in. And God, well, he's eventually going to say there's a deliverer that's coming. They've got to devolve to the point of being taken away in their, in, in their sin and their iniquity, their perversion. Many people are going to die along the way as part of the judgment. And then God says, okay, I'm going to deliver you. But you know what's interesting? If you take a look at this throughout history, the people who are the main perpetrators uh, of all of the wickedness and the perversion, the evil, the rot, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, they're not the ones that end up being saved. It's like a whole generation has to pass. And then God delivers them. 
And I don't know, it, uh, when, I, when I just stop and think about that, I go, does this not kind of defeat the whole eye of a deathbed-type repentance? I know not individually per se, but on a, on a national scale. And you say, well, well, why would that have, I mean, I don't what, what are you trying to say here, Dr. P? What, 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 are you, what are you saying? I'm trying to say, you know, there's a lot of people today that seem to think that, you know what, uh, if we just go back, I think it's our First Chronicles chapter 7 or chapter 8, something like that. We, if we'll just confess our sin and get on our, and we'll elect the right president, then all will be just wonderful. No, it's not going to be. I mean, I played taps on here the other day because I said, you know what, the United States is $34 trillion in debt. It's actually more than that. It's like in insecure debt, it's like over a hundred and some trillion dollars, and we just keep spending like crazy. And I said, you know, we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we're going to have to be carried away into judgment before the United States will ever be redeemed, if it is ever redeemed. We're well beyond what happened to the Greeks and Romans. And we seem to be just fine with that. We're living a delusion. I've got my 401k and it's just wonderful. So what? It doesn't mean it's an illusion. That money is illusion. It's, it's not real. But what do you mean? I've got, I've got $35 million in the bank. It's an illusion. A country that is in such dire straits as we are in the United States, and I think pretty much around the world. I mean, just about every nation is in hawk. And then claiming just how rich they are, it reminds me almost the book of uh, the book of Revelation of the uh, Church at Laodicea. You know how wonderful they thought they were, and they they were rich and and comfortable and the like, and had it not a care in the world. So much so that God said, you know what? You make me want to puke. That's how disgusting you are. You're lazy. You have no idea just how far outside the will of God you are because of your wickedness. And finally, what, what did he tell them? You know what? If you don't clean up your act, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spew you, I'm gonna throw up. I'm gonna throw you up, and you're gonna, I'm gonna puke you out of my mouth. That's how the U.S. is right now. We make God sick. And you might be saying, how can you say that you're a U.S. citizen? Because I'm right here and I see it. We make God sick because of our rebellion. And it's going to take a deliverer to get us out of this. But I think it's going to, I think God is going to have to pass judgment first before that ever happens. And a lot of people are going to be in misery. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's just no other way around it. There's no waving of the ends. Oh, there's going to be a rapture and we're going to be taken. No, 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 no. Not going to happen. Paul says a deliverer will come from Zion and he's going to banish ungodliness. I like that. I, I don't know about you, but I get sick and tired of the rot that takes place in society and people just feel like, well, we can't do anything about it. We can if we got some people who have some guts and want to do it God's way. Well, 
here, here Paul's saying, you know what? God's going to do it. And it's going to be, take an act of judgment. He's going to banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with, with them when I take away their sins. I can't repeat it anymore. Now, this is obviously going to be a future judgment when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And that's why I say, you know, no matter how much of a utopia, uh, whoever it is, I don't care who it is in political office, they try to set it up. I don't care how wonderful it may smell like roses and whatever. It still makes God sick, and there's going to be a judgment. In fact, you know, the Bible makes it pretty clear that there's going to be a lot of deception and lying take place towards the end. Uh, we're going to be in dire straits. I've heard, I remember years ago when there were people saying, if someone would just come and take the reins and solve all of the problems in the world, I'd vote for him even if it was the Antichrist himself. And how many people think that he's alive today? How many people are wishing he was alive today? Uh, how many people would confuse him? Because Jesus made this perfectly clear as well. How many people would confuse him with the Lord if he showed up? That's just how desperate people have become. There's going to be a deliverer, and he's going to banish ungodliness. There's not going to be any more of this greed. There's not going to be any more of this lying, cheating, stealing, uh, murder, uh, oh, transgenderism. There's going to be none of that. There's going to be a restored order according to the way God originally intended it. I, I like some people say, oh, that's just, that's just Christian nationalism. You know, you, you want to set up a theocracy. Let me tell you something. There's going to be a theocracy one day. Get used to it. Jesus, being God incarnate, is going to rule from his throne, and he's going to rule with an iron fist. Uh, get used to it. Now, we can't do that today. Jesus is not on a throne here. It doesn't mean he's not a throne in heaven. But the king is not here with us yet. So we can't set up a theocracy. But you see, some people that get all confused and panic-stricken and uh, they start pointing their fingers and making false equations. Oh, well, you want to try to enforce your religion down my throat. As if they're, that's not what they're doing. They're trying to force their religion down people's throats. But as long as, you know, you bring up, hey, maybe, uh, maybe it'd be a good idea if we got back to maybe some just basic biblical principles like, you know, you, know, you shall not kill and and lust after your, your neighbor's goods and, and honor your father. If, maybe we just, no, we can't have any of that. That's setting up a theocracy. We're a, we're a nation that uh, lives by the mandate of separation of church and state. I'm going, well, that's you just pushing your religion because that's not found anywhere. Oh, what the Jefferson said that he didn't say any such thing. In fact, most people don't realize that Jefferson turned right around and and went to church, you know, the, the, the next Sunday after he uttered that, that, his, that statement about being uh, separation of church and state, 
Yeah, he turns around and goes to church, which tells me, you know what, y'all are just completely turning and twisting this all around. But there's going to be a theocracy one day, and the deliverer is going to come, and there's going to be nobody, no atheist, no matter how high profile or stupid he is, uh, is going to stop that. I don't care how hard they try to uh, prevent it. It's going to happen. It's prophesied right here while the nation of Israel is being hardened, and the sins are going to be taken away. And you would think that that would be a good thing. (laughs) A lot of people, no, they don't want that. They want to roll around in the slop, in the pig pen, in all of the garbage that's online. Just name it, whether you've got people that are hacking computers or, or, uh, you know, I'm sitting here. I've, I don't know how many phone calls I've gotten. Let me take a look over here. Uh, just in talking to you right now, that are scammers. They're bilking people out of billions. That kind of garbage is going to stop. The lying, the cheating, and the stealing is going to stop when the Lord returns. Now, Paul goes on here. He says in verse 28, as regards the gospel, remember that's what Paul has been talking about from the beginning. That's the power of God into salvation. And by way of personification, that is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the good news. And you would think, you know, at that time, many people were converted there in in, uh, Paul's day, the Apostle Paul's day, uh, by the gospel. You would think, you know what, that was was a good thing. And, you know, it wasn't, though, <laughs> in, in the sense that a lot of the Christians at the time were running for their lives, especially when Nero came on the scene. But, you know, this has been throughout uh, human history as well. You mentioned the name of Jesus, and you would think that that was naming the devil himself. People in their natural state of rebellion against God, they don't want to hear the name of Jesus. But he is the good news. He's the person who sets a person free from their sin and their guilt before God. But here Paul says, the Jews, they are enemies for your sake. They're enemies of God for your sake. And a lot of people will say, now you're being anti-Semitic. No, I'm not. I'm telling you what happened here. With, 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 you know, the Jews rebelled against God and then... God turned to the Gentiles. Jesus had talked about this before. There, there are these other sheep that he's got to attend to. Well, they happen to be the Gentiles. And now that the gospel is being presented to them, well, the Jews now, because of their rebellion, are enemies for your sake, for your benefit. In fact, uh, in fact he, he had talked about uh, the, uh, the, the Gentiles receiving the gospel or being now heirs of salvation. In the Greek here in verse 28, is he says, you know, they're enemies because of you. Because of you. In fact, the more of converts there's going to be of the Gentiles, that makes the Jews jealous. So there's even a plan here amidst the hatred of the Jews. All things work to the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Even when the Jews hate, which is not a good thing, that's going to be turned to the good because not only are Gentiles going to be 
redeemed and saved to the to the fullness of God's plan. Later on, that's going to be to the benefit of the Jews as well. They're enemies for your sake. And this standard, I love this, and you'd have to have some Greek to, to see this, but this thing about the, as regards, that's according to this standard of the gospel. That's the answer. That's the solution to human problems, not only amongst themselves, but with God, who we're going to be held accountable to anyway. That's the standard. Jesus is the standard. But then he goes on, he says, but as regards, once again, this standard of election, it's God's election. We don't elect ourselves. Uh, those that are chosen, and I don't know how many times I've talked about this podcast, about this whole free willyism idea that is a perversion of the gospel. God sits around and waits for you to make up your mind whether, whether they want to be saved or not. No, he does not. God is, God is not contingent. He doesn't contingently sit around and wait for anybody to do anything. God has his plan, and he's going to work it. Now, we may think, well, you know, uh, that's, that's abuse of power. You know, we need free agency, as the Mormons would say, in order for there to be this equity in the universe. You can't have good unless you've got evil in this struggle. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Evil and sin are parasitic. They cannot survive without God and good. Conversely, God and good can survive just perfectly without parasites. So there's this standard of election, God's election. They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. They're still around because of the promises that were given to Moses and David and, and uh, uh, Noah, you, the, the ones that were the the uh, covenants were given to, the promises that God gave to the nation of Israel were the, the, the people that God was working with, and these ethnic Jews are a part of that. They're part of the election. But once again, it's God's election, and there is a remnant that will be saved. Not everybody, but a remnant will be. They are beloved for the sake of their fathers. God has not forgotten his covenants with Israel. He will carry them out to the end. And we haven't seen that yet. I haven't even come close to it yet. Now, that doesn't mean that with each passing day, we don't get closer to what, you know, uh, God has in mind for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. But as far as the full culmination, no, it has not been completed yet. Now, the fulfillment of the law, pointing people to Christ, as Paul you know, talked about over in Romans chapter 10, that has been fulfilled. He's come, and he has fulfilled the law. And everybody that is in Christ is looked upon by God as if they have never sinned. They are perfect in God's sight. That doesn't mean they act perfectly. Still, still, still got that sin nature to wrestle with. 
But as far as condemnation is concerned, Paul has already said, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're part of the elect. And the same standard of the gospel in election and faith and grace, they're the same for everybody. And that's why you know, Paul would also say there's no such thing as Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, and male and female, and the like. There's, there's none of that anymore. They're all redeemed on the same basis. And then he says in verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. Like I said, if you say irrevocable and I say irrevocable, it's like rodeo and rodale. <laughs> but anyway, for the gifts and calling of God, uh, literally here, the word, uh, let me find that word here, I'll a second here. The means it's not with regret. God has not regretted what he has established uh, by his own goodness, by his own holiness, by his own perfection. His plan will work out according to his own goodwill, according to what the book of Ephesians has to say. What God has planned, nobody can circumvent. This is why, once again, God doesn't sit around and wait for human beings to make up their convoluted minds, their sinful minds, to decide what he's going to do. This is why when uh, the, the Apostle Paul talked about the foreknowledge of God, it has nothing to do with what we have decided. It has to do with what God has decided. And that includes these gifts, which he's talked about, the gift of grace. Uh, faith is a gift as well. Uh, things that lead to salvation, salvation is a gift. These things are all according to God's standards. And when God calls, once again, going back to Romans chapter 8, where he talks about being predestined, those whom he predestined, them he called, and those that he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. All of this is, is irrevocable. It's not going to change. God has already determined it. <laughs> It kind of goes back to what I had, you know, alluded to before when I was asked one time in a seminary seminar, are you a determinist? Yes, because God is one. I don't have to sit around and, and uh, guess whether I'm redeemed or not. All I have to do is pick up the Bible and acknowledge this is true, but that's only going to happen according to what the Bible says about the Spirit living and abiding within me. I'm going to have that attitude of repentance which means homologeo, I agree with in the same word that God does. I agree that it is true, and I call upon the name of the Lord because of the presence of the Spirit, and no man can do that without the presence of the Spirit. Uh, all of this has to do with God's calling, God's plan. And unless we go off on our own tangent or we create our own gods, maybe fashioned after our image, as corrupt as it is. Every time we think God's thoughts after him, we have peace of mind. There are lots of people who claim to be Christians today that have no peace of mind. Why? Because they're thinking their own thoughts rather than God's thoughts. And in fact, they kind of bring God in on the side, you know, and kind of include him, you know, as a maybe a religious idol of some kind. 
And then they go about their theologizing. And I've said before, everybody's a theologian uh, just because you're created in God's image. But the problem is they go off on their own tangent and then they start worshiping their idols. And they can be theological idols that they have propped up in their own mind, maybe with a little bit of help from Satan and his friends, uh, false religion, uh, something they've seen on TV, you name it. But the problem is there's no peace of mind. They're constantly troubled. They, 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 the, the idol drives them nuts. But not so when you pick up God's word and allow the spirit to illuminate your mind and start thinking God's thoughts after him. And you give him the credit for the gifts and the calling in your life. A lot of people don't do that. In fact, a lot of people manufacture their own gifts out of thin air, and they have nothing to do with what God has to say. And it almost kind of reminds me of what the Apostle Paul had said earlier. Uh, in, I think it was chapter chapter 9. Let me go back here. Uh, oh, no, it's chapter 10. For chapter 10. When the Apostle Paul said, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for... Uh, to God, for them, that being the Jews, is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That's where a lot of people are today. Well, they may be religious and get out their prayer beads or whatever they do. Maybe they're there at church seven seven days a week. I I don't think so, but just for the sake of illustration, they do all kinds of religious things. They may even, you know, Pray great swelling prayers, and everybody's impressed by it. But they don't have peace with God. They don't have uh, the calling of God on their life. Their gifts are made up out of thin air. They're still doing their own thing. They're still in rebellion against God. If that's you, that can change today by simply acknowledging God for who he is, for what he has given, and giving him credit and glory for everything, including your own salvation, today. The Apostle Paul goes on, he says in verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, the the word here for disobedient literally means unpersuaded, but now have received mercy because of their unpersuasion, talking about the Jews. You know, he's making this contrast again between the Gentiles and the Jews. So they, the Jews, too, have now been unpersuaded or disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. This goes back to what I had said earlier. Uh, what Paul had talked about in the sense that because of God's attention that he has paid now to the Gentiles, the promises made to them by grace through faith, that was going to cause the Jews to be jealous. They were envious that there's all of a sudden there's this, this, this bunch of people that you know, were religious and paganistic and worshiping the idols of the earth and whatever, all of a sudden now they're praising Jesus? 
and Yahweh? What? Wait, wait a second. This, this can't be. We're God's people. No, they're God's people too. In fact, they're inviting you to accept your Messiah. And there is peace with God with them. How can that possibly be? They, they didn't believe before, but they do now. And that's because of God's mercy upon them. You know, mer- we've talked about grace giving you something you didn't deserve. Mercies is God not giving you what, you what you did deserve, which meant hell, ultimately, suffering from God's wrath, this separation from God, the, the judgment of God. Because they have now received mercy, they're not going to end up suffering that because, once again, they are now in Christ. There is no longer any condemnation because what has well, really because of the enemies of God, being the Jews, that mercy has been extended to the Gentiles. And because of that, guess what? The Jews and their jealousy and their envy, now they're going to turn to God, at least those whom God has elected. They, too, have now been disobedient again. You, might, you could probably include that. Because even though the Jews at that time, being led by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the conservatives and the liberals within the synagogue, even though the Pharisees were trying in as legalistic fashion as they could to keep the Jews from being swept away again, they failed. As I said before about the Pharisees, they went to the right over the cliff, just like the Sadducees went to the left over the cliff. They were no longer, amid their rebellion, God's people in a spiritual way, in an obedient way. In fact, it was to the point where they became murderous. But because of what God had done to the Gentiles, the mercy that was shown to them is now going to be shown to the Jews. God's not done with them. God's not got done with them yet. In fact, Paul had talked about this earlier in verse 32, if God has consigned them all to disobedience, he had talked about this earlier. Uh, in fact, he said this over... Let me flip the page here. <laughs> we go back to, uh, yeah, Romans chapter 3, where he had, just before he goes on this grocery list of condemnation of the Jews and all these indictments, he said this. What then? Are we Jews better off? We've got all of these things. We've got the oracles of God. We've got circumcision and so on and so forth. And Paul says, no, (laughs) not at all. You're not better off. Why? For we have already charged that all, all human beings, when he talks about the Jews and the Gentiles, that's what he's saying. Every human being is under sin. All has sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Well, he's going to reiterate that here in verse 32. He's consigned all the disobedience, but but not just for permanent condemnation, but so that he can show his mercy upon all. And this is bewildering to many people. It's you just stop, like I said, and you you think about what God has done here to redeem humanity, even in the sense of just sticking around. God could have given up on humanity in the beginning. 
when he originally wanted to destroy everybody and then was convinced, uh, no, there, there's some people that haven't gone quite that far, Lord. You might want to want, might want to reconsider it. And so, well, before God destroyed everybody, he saved eight. That same principle that's carried over into today. God, in his patience, and Lord God Almighty has got to have lots of it, just if you just stop and think about your own condition, how much he puts up with, and yet we're still, you know, going to be redeemed. It's just amazing. Talk up, you know, when I hear the song Amazing Grace, that's what I think of. Because it's going to take amazing favor to redeem a wretch like me. And so Paul, then he says in verse 33, kind of reiterating this whole thing, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. This idea of being inscrutable, at least in the ESV, uh, NAS is unfathomable. Uh, the King James says past finding out is literally means you can't comprehend it. It is just infinite, the depth of the riches, wisdom, and knowledge of God. And for a finite human being to try to understand that, once again, it just blows your mind. And you think, I, I mean, I've heard people say, well, what are we going to be doing in heaven? You know, those of us are going to, are we just going to be sitting around on a cloud? You know, uh, playing our harps and singing? Probably not. I mean, that may be some of it for some people. I don't know. I'm going to be thinking about God's wisdom and his judgments. Why, almighty God? I'm not going to be questioning in a sense of doubt, but I'm going to be like in a state of appreciation without being tried about it of what God did to redeem me. And if you're like me, so will you. You'll be going, Lord God Almighty, uh, thank you for your grace. It was inscrutable. <laughs> I know, Lord, if you don't understand what that word means, because some guy used an English word, a lot of people don't know what it means. Lord, it was unfathomable. I don't completely understand it. But thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving me enough to redeem me because I don't deserve any of it. And Paul says in verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? He's quoting from the book of Isaiah, which I've said before is uh, the most theological book in the Old Testament and the book of Romans is the most theological in the New. So it makes perfect sense that he would be saying this. He's asking, well, who has known the mind of the Lord? In, in uh, uh, hang on a second there. The book, uh, let me go back over here. Hang on a second. Let me go back over here. In uh, second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 16, he made this statement to the the Corinthians there, the Christians there. For who has known the mind, or for who has who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. That's, that's an amazing statement as well. But here, 
the idea in Romans chapter 11 and verse 34, uh, who's known the mind of the Lord following on the heels of, of uh, the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God? Or who has been his counselor? Who's the one who's going to advise him? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? The answer is nobody. And yet we've got people today that think, I know it all. Whether they're talking about whether God exists uh, or just who he is and how he should be and how, well, you know, if you will just do this and that and whatever it is, you'll be in the good graces of God. That's not how God operates. You know, just the principles of grace and faith and the love of God and his patience and his long-suffering, that in itself is enough to just bewilder any rational person that is considering the infinite God of creation. We're not going to give him instruction on how things are going to be done. He's going to instruct us because he knows what's best. It's kind of like the old, uh, what, 60s? Not that I'm that old, not that I watch it that often, but Father knows best. God knows best. And so we're not going to be instructing him, and we're not going to be giving him reasons to grant us grace. Oh, Lord, look what I did. I cast out demons, and I preached great sermons, and I walked little old ladies across the street or the highway. Uh, I fed my neighbor, you know, goulash, (laughs) stuff like that, in order to merit. No, it doesn't work that way. I'm not giving God gifts. God's given me the gifts, the ones that I don't deserve. And then Paul ends here in verse 36 with the doxology, a glorification of God. And he acknowledges just who he is as our creator. And a lot of people like to say, oh, I wasn't created. Well, how did you get here? I was born to my parents. Okay, where did they come from? Well, they were born to their parents. How far do you want to take that back? Let's go back to the beginning. Where did the first man and woman come from? I don't know. God does. So do those who have the mind of Christ. And they say, for from him and through him and to him are all things. All things exist, including the grace and the mercy and the salvation, because of God. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so now you know where the Jews are today and how they will figure in history and what God is doing in the meantime with the rest of his creation. Whether we're talking about human beings who are being, some of them anyway, being elect and chosen and redeemed according to God's good pleasure, as well as the rest of nature that is suffering from the birth pangs, waiting for the full adoption of sons of humanity. And in the meantime, the Jews are on the back burner, but one day will be brought to the forefront where a vast majority of them will be redeemed as well. If you have any questions about any of this, feel free to send me a Send me an email. I'm at podcast at capro, C-A-P-R-O dot info. 
and I'll try to answer them. Now our time is up. Hope you've enjoyed this. Share it with others. Until next time, Lord bless you. We'll talk to you later.